Welcome to MacBytes episode 11. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. Today we're going to take a look at the best way to keep your Mac software up to date and how to future-proof your files. Sounds strange, bear with us. But first we've got some feedback from last week. Yeah, one of our comments came from uh, one of our listeners, Mac Jim, and uh, he said, uh, Hello, have you tried Spotlight? I used Quicksilver before upgrading to Leopard, and now to launch an application, I just open Spotlight, and after a few keys and enter, the application launches. Cheers from Bonnie Scotland, Mac Jim. Good to have you back. Thank you for that comment, Mac Jim, and it's good to be back too. Yep, it is indeed. Um, strangely, bizarrely, knowing me, uh, I work the other way. Um, I used Spotlight on Tiger until just a couple of weeks before Leopard was launched. And then I changed to Quicksilver, and uh, it was one of the first things I was trying to put on Leopard. But as anybody who changed to Leopard in the first couple of weeks will remember, um, Quicksilver wasn't available, so it was a bit of a pain as I just got used to it. Spotlight did work very well for me, um, but what happened was it got slower as I added more external storage. And I also have had recently a serious indexing problem on Leopard. At times, if I try and use Spotlight, it'll beach ball and then it will relaunch itself. Uh, and it, by that stage, it's lost what I've typed in. So I have to start again. So it's become a bit safer for me app launching to use Quicksilver at the minute. For searching, I'm also using Hoodaspot or Howdaspot. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that one. Uh, but that's that's a fantastic application. So um, I went the other way, Mac Jim. But uh, yeah, Spotlight did work well for me until I had my indexing problems. And uh, it seems to work better on the laptop when I'm out. I'm, I'm assuming it is the amount of storage that I've put on the machine that's slowing me down. I also do use Spotlight for quick calculations. That works really, really well. One of the problems I had, as I said last week, is that I you do use Quicksilver, but I found that when I install a new piece of software, it doesn't seem to update uh, Quicksilver straight away. So I'll press the Quicksilver keys, and then I'll start typing the application's name, and it doesn't bring it up. So I have taken to using Spotlight again, just to launch that new application. Um, as I said last week, I did start using the, the uh, Command Shift and A, but uh, we discussed on last week's show that that is quite slow. Yeah, um, Quicksilver does update. You can specify how often it re-indexes the locations you've um, got it set to index. Uh, my problem's slightly different. Sometimes when I install a brand new application, one that I've not had there before, so it's not just an update to an application, it is a new application, Quicksilver's updated automatically. I don't know how that works, because I know I've got it set the same way you have yours. So sometimes it works, but sometimes it goes worse than that. I'll install a new application or an update to an application, and whatever I put into Quicksilver, it won't find a thing. Nothing in the application folder at all. And I've tried searching for information about that, see if there's anything I can do. But I haven't found a thing. Uh, the best thing I can do at that point is shut Quicksilver down and rerun it, and it's fine. Um, I, it obviously re-indexes when it runs. So that is another issue I've had. Sometimes it works perfectly, other times doesn't want to know at all, and other times still somewhere in the middle. So um, all very strange, but uh, I, I am sticking with Quicksilver at the moment. But if you're out on the road with a laptop and you've not got it installed, then, yep, nothing wrong with Spotlight at all. Served me well for well over 12 months. In fact, it actually took me a long time to get used to Quicksilver. I tried it three times before it grew on me enough to keep it. And I don't know why. It was just one of those things. It just wasn't quite intuitive to me at the beginning. And now it's second nature. But there you go. 
It is second nature and uh, as I think I also mentioned last week, sometimes I'll go to a machine and I will automatically just press those quicksilver keys and uh, nothing happens. Yep, that happens to me as well if I'm on another Mac or at the Apple Store in particular. And uh, what the good news with the Apple Store is while you're there, they do let you install software. So uh, you can spend the first five minutes of a session there just, just making sure the machine's got all the little idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies that um, you've got on your own to make it make it feel like home. Also, as I mentioned last week, uh, I've gone minimalist with my dock. I'd already done it on the uh, the laptop, and I decided to do it on the iMac as well. So after we'd recorded the show, I went up to my iMac and I started dragging all the icons off. I moved my uh, dock to the right-hand side, managed to get used to it during this week, and then I installed Witch and Light Switch, which were two applications we've discussed previously. And I configured the uh, the, the Witch software uh, on your advice, although I installed or I configured using uh, Command and Tilde and Command and Z. No, 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 <laughs> you don't want to be doing that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Because How long did it take for you to twig? <laughs> About two days, I think. Oh, dear. Um, I wonder if the listeners know what we're talking about. Well, every <laughs> Go on, time, elaborate. Every time I press Command and Z, of course, um, I was expecting it to use the to do the undo, and uh, it didn't do the undo. And I realised what was going on, uh, which had taken over the, uh, the keys. And I said to you, uh, what keys again do we use? And you said... Um, option and Z and an option tilde and I knew immediately what I'd done. So I went back into which and I reconfigured them and then now quite happily using option and tilde and option Z and those keys allow me to use uh, allow me to move backwards and forwards through the running application windows. Some people can just be given too many options, you know. That's right, that's right. Anyway, moving on to uh, new stuff for this week. It's been a good week for browser junkies, hasn't it, Elaine? Oh, indeed. And I am a big browser junkie. Yep, world record broken, although um did take much breaking, as I believe there wasn't a world record already, uh, in the number of Firefox 3 downloads. Of course, needless to say, servers were in meltdown for most of the day. Uh, I actually managed to pick up uh, the final release quite early on in the day. Um, I couldn't get to Firefox, but Mac Update uh, had a link and that worked well. So um don't know what uh, what situation was for other people, but uh, when I tried to get two Firefoxes site at Mozilla, I wasn't getting anywhere at all. Anyway, the changes. Uh, it's a complete new look, which uh, pleased me no end. Um, I didn't like the old look at all. I know you can put themes on it, but I could never quite find a theme that sort of worked well. So um, I tended, and I didn't use Firefox all the time, so I tended to leave it as it was. It's quite strange now that uh, Firefox has got a different look for each OS. Um, so how it looks on Vista is different from Mac, is different from XP, is I presume different than uh, Linux. So um, quite a strange decision that. Um, the new version of Opera, um, has a streamlined look and it's the same on all the operating systems so um, a, a different decision for uh, Firefox but I like the interface so it's not too bad at all there's also another new feature called Personas 
which um, if people do use Firefox, or they've at least seen it, you know you can put themes on that change the look of the thing completely. Well, Personas let you do even more customization, but it's a lot easier because you don't have to uh, restart the browser, which you do when you apply a theme. So um, the, I've got a link that explains all about that. So um, it's an add-in at the moment. I'll uh, put the link on the show notes, and I can have a read about it. On the positive side, um, it's a lot faster than the previous version. I really struggled with the previous version. I did as well. I didn't actually use the previous version of Firefox much, mainly because of the speed, uh, both the speed of starting the software and actually the speed of using it. Yeah, I always found it very slow to start and I didn't have any saved tabs or anything. I gave up on that. That just slowed it down even more. But I did find as well that after I'd been using it for you know, 20 minutes or so, it seemed to slow down as well. And I was really only using it as an interface to certain sites. So if I had a site that just wouldn't behave in Safari, then I'd go to Firefox with it. So I wasn't even using it as a main browser. So speed was a huge issue. Uh, this is a lot better. You will like this one a lot more. It starts up much faster and I've not had any problems with it slowing down in use either. Uh, I'm using it mainly with Google and uh, it seems to work pretty well. Talking to Google, uh, the Google toolbars there, they uh, a couple of the add-ins uh, weren't ready to join the beta because I was testing the beta but uh, the main two for me which were the Google toolbar and the notebook add-in were available on release day so they've all been updated as well so uh, the Google gives a great uh, the Google toolbar gives a great Google experience um, it's literally like having an application that's just dedicated to Google uh, also one of the things that annoyed me immensely with the old version was the tabs they seem to resize themselves and move themselves around when you've got so many that they don't fit into the width of the browser, there was a drop-down on the right-hand side that showed the rest. They've ch they, that's still there, but they've added in the ability to scroll the tabs. So if you've got a, a mouse with a wheel, you can use the scroll wheel and it moves you right and left on the tabs. And that is actually really intuitive. If your hand's on the mouse, that works really well. Um, if you've got a mighty mouse, even better, because you can, you can scroll from left to right. Um, with a wheel mouse going up and down does the same thing but it feels a bit odd so it works even better with a mighty mouse so that, that was a good addition to me in fact there's much better tab management altogether um, originally uh, in Firefox you couldn't move the tabs you couldn't reorder them and I got a plugin that allowed you to do that but again you, you had to bolt bits onto the browser to give it even what I thought was basic functionality so that's built in now nice little interface to that as well as a little white arrow to show you where it's going to drop um, other good things that make it easy to use, uh, it's got the common keyboard shortcuts, so all the stuff that you use in Safari, if that's your main browser, or really any of the others, um, all pretty standard in Firefox, Command and T, Command and N, Command and P, Command and L to select the URL, so uh, that's that's uh, good user interface management there. The biggest thing's got to be um, something that's become known as the awesome bar. Have you seen that yet? I haven't, no. Um, it's the address bar as was, and although it still looks the same, it's now got sort of, um, they've added search as you type functionality. Um, if you use Safari and you've got Inquisitor installed, then think Inquisitor. It's adaptive searching, so 
the more you use it, you train it to become more accurate. So in, a, in that way, it's like Quicksilver. Quicksilver gets faster the more you use it, and uh, so does this search. So unlike most browsers where you start typing, and if you type sort of uh, BBC, it will probably fill in .co.uk for you if you've been there before. Well, in Firefox, you can type bits of the URL in, and it will find them even if the bits that you type in aren't the beginning of the URL. So it does actually work better than it sounds like it does. But again, it's going to take some getting used to because it is so very, very different. Um, I've got a couple of um, posts that I'd read on that on uh, various blogs at Mozilla and some of the developers as well. So I'll put those in the show notes. Um, I like it. Uh, it's working quite well for me at the moment. In fact, I th I'd go so far as to say um, it's picking things up that I don't have as bookmarks because I don't transfer my bookmarks across. As we discussed a good few months ago, I create um, little typinator expansion shortcuts and I use those as bookmarks so they work in any browser. Um, so I don't have bookmarks in, in Firefox, but it's still finding places I've been. So it's not just looking through your bookmarks, looking through your history, making some pretty good educated guesses. Uh, as to where you want to go. And talking of bookmarks, uh, the management is now integrated with the history, which doesn't sound like much, but if you want to, if you've been browsing and you think, oh, I should have added those um, places I visited to my bookmarks and now I've, they've gone, you can actually go to one window and drag items from your history into your bookmarks. So again, for, for management, if you do use bookmarks in that way, pretty good. But of course, it's not all sunshine uh, into every life. A little rain must fall. There are some negatives as well. Um, don't know whether you've noticed, because I know you don't use it much, but um, one thing that drives me mad, the close button's on the wrong side of the tabs. I didn't notice until you pointed it out to me, but uh, yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, the icon, uh, it does make more sense when you're actually looking at it, that the icon for the site, the fav icon, is on the left, uh, which makes the close icon on the right and that does seem to make sense apart from if you're used to using other browsers and it's on the left uh, so that that was a, a big problem for me uh, but there is a solution for that one and it's all in the post on my blog uh, what I did find was um, a theme and the theme uh, now I've gone so far as, as to say I like the new look of it it would be now I've actually found a theme that I like better, wouldn't it? But I did find this theme, and the theme changed that, so now I can close it on the left. So now Firefox looks so much like Safari, I'm getting confused with the two. So I'll put the uh, link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, the other thing with tabs is, it does take two clicks to close a tab that isn't the active tab. So imagine you've got five tabs open, you're on tab number one, you're looking to close three, four and five. Uh, you've got to make the tab active before you can close it. Whereas in Safari, you can just close a tab whether it's active or not. So just a, a little point, but then if you're trying to close lots of tabs, it will annoy you. Uh, and if you've got multiple browser windows open and you want to merge all those browser windows into one, I couldn't find an option to merge the windows, uh, and that's there in Safari. So um, that'd be nice to add. You also need to be quite precise when you're moving the window. Um, I had the bookmarks window up, and I also had some developer tools windows up. And they've got quite a deep toolbar at the top. They've obviously got um, the usual 
minimise buttons etc on the left hand side and the title across the top but below that they had some buttons just like you'd see in mail for instance and there were gaps in the toolbar and normally you can click in those gaps and drag the window to move it and I was trying to do that and the window was firmly staying put and I thought oh has it crashed and no you've got to be very very precise where you click it so obviously some non-standard interface components there you actually have to click at the top near the name to actually move it so again small thing but makes using it just that little bit more difficult and the print functions are a bit lacking as well a few standard features missing you can't preview before you print and there's no progress indication but it's got to be a lot better than that Internet Explorer way back in the day where it constantly used to cut an inch and a half off the right hand side of every page you printed. So it's much improved. Uh, the one option in there that uh, is brilliant is that you can click a, one of the options and tell it to shrink it to fit the paper. So uh, that's a good option. But uh, there's still no support for services. So for things like clipping to Circus Pony's notebook, for instance, that's just not there, which is why I have 10 browsers each one's perfect for something so uh, that's my take on it and i bet you can't name all of those 10 browsers oh that's mean that's <laughs> mean on a live show that's mean um i bet i can <laughs> i've got safari i've got opera of course because that was what i used on windows and i've got firefox um and i've got omniweb uh camino shearer Flock. Flock's nice for its integration with Twitter. I've got Sunrise, which is really for sort of uh, web developers. That's got some nice web development features in it, so uh, I've got Sunrise. I've got Fluid, which makes uh, site-specific browsers, but uh, I'm very much starting out with that one at the moment. And, wait for it, I've still got Netscape Navigator as well. <laughs> Even though that is officially dead. Yes, but I like it, so I've still got it there. It did go through a phase of telling me that it was dead and begging me to download something else, but I've beaten it into submission. Well, I think 10 browsers is a bit over the top, but as you say, you know, you use them all for specific reasons. And you as a web developer love it when I say to you, well, it looks all right in nine of them, but it's not working in the tenth. Mm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Anyway, to wrap up on Firefox, uh, the future's looking good for Firefoxes too. I found um, a few things that are coming our way soon. One of them is a mobile browser, and at the moment it's called Fennec. And I thought, mm, strange name, till uh, I had a, a Google search for it and found out that it's a, it's a small fox. And then it made perfect sense. So uh, that's a mobile version of the browser coming soon. There's also going to be a single function lightweight version at the moment called Prism. So uh, we just mentioned Fluid, which may lets you make site-specific browsers. And it looks like Prism is going to be allowing you to do a similar job. So uh, look forward to that as well. And the last thing I found was something called Weave, which is a synchronisation tool. So after you've lovingly crafted all your bookmarks in there, you'll be able to synchronise them across machines, from machine to machine. So um, that looks good as well. So have you had a go with it? I have installed it um, and I've exported all my bookmarks to it. But the thing is, I'm so used to running Safari. You know, I, as I said before, I'll press the buttons for Quicksilver and I'll start typing Safari. And it, it actually reminds me of the time when uh, we moved from Internet Explorer to uh, Opera. And uh, I, I was so used to just clicking the Internet Explorer uh, icon. And uh, you actually banned me from having that icon on my, uh, my Windows dock or, or taskbar and forced me to use Opera. It was for your own good, admit it. 
It was. You see, if I hadn't put my foot down and insisted, you'd have still been an IE boy. That is quite true. There you go. That's quite true. You did come round to my way of thinking in the end. I knew you would. And if your Bill Gates video experience anything to go by, you don't want to be using IE anymore. That is true. Um, Yeah. Um, On Friday, Bill Gates... uh, There was a Bill Gates interview on on the BBC. Uh, It was an hour-long programme. And um, I tried to watch it at work uh, using Internet Explorer. They they, they they put some of the clips onto the, the, the BBC's website. And uh, every time I fired up Internet Explorer, went to the site, uh, the thing crashed with that standard message in Internet Explorer that says, Internet Explorer's crashed. Uh, do you want to send a report to Microsoft? And uh, it sums it up, really, doesn't it? Microsoft browser, Microsoft uh, program. Anyway, this uh, there's a pitch from my blog, and I'll, I'll put the URL on the website so you can go and have a look. Yes, at that's it. a nice one to see. It really does sum it up. Uh, the interview was pretty good, I thought. There was a lot of content we'd seen before, but there was the odd gem in there. I'd never seen his party trick of uh, office, office chair jumping before. Uh, have you seen that? I'd never seen that one, no. No, everybody, when I, when I listened to it, they were sort of saying that it was like a known party trick. It wasn't a party trick I'd uh, been party to. I was hoping that we'd see the um, Bulma developers, developers, developers a bit, but no, we didn't get to see that, unfortunately. But uh, yes, Gatesy and the office chair was well worth seeing. Anyway, let's get back to all things Mac. Let's leave this window thing behind. Uh, one of our Mac group members was uh, having no luck at all updating to 10.5.3. It came up in the software update window and he said, yes, I'll have that. Download it, install it, configure it, reboot. Um, but it was coming up with a message telling him that uh, it had failed and uh, in no uncertain terms to get in touch with his system administrator, which was him. So that didn't do him any good at all. Um, He did reboot it, uh, went back in. The 10.5.3 update had disappeared from the software update option, so it looked like it had been successful. But it hadn't, because three days later, it reappeared and uh, begged to be downloaded again. So he did it again and got the same error again. So it's all really to do with the software update versus the download updates debate. Normally, I update with software update. I presume you do the same, Mike? I do, yes. But this one in particular, this 10.5.3, I looked at it and it was huge. Something like 530 meg, something like that. And I thought, well, I'm not downloading that four times, one for each Mac. So I downloaded the combo update um, and swapped it between machines. And I updated them all using the combo update and I had no problem at all. Um, So I put this combo update onto a CD and posted it to uh, our Mac group member. And um, it worked very, very well. So he is now up to date with 10.5.3. Combo update was a success. Uh, The software update never actually worked. So I don't know how everybody else is doing it out there. Maybe you can let us know on the uh, blog. But uh, we'll put up there the download URL for um, all the 10.5 updates uh, if you uh, are struggling yourself. There's also a very good troubleshooting guide that I found. Like I say, personally, I've never needed it, but um, a lot of the stuff on there made sense. Pretty basic stuff, but stuff you might not think of. One of the things I thought of for um, this guy later was, I wonder if there was enough space on the hard drive because it needed a huge amount of disk space. Um, even if you were running the update from CD. So that was like one of the things. So uh, I'll put those URLs up there. Um, they're worth having available for uh, if it ever happens to you. Seeing as though 10.5.4 has already been seeded and no doubt will be with us, I reckon probably around the time of the iPhone. 
just to get iPhone, iPhone, iPhone in this week. iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. Indeed. Well, on to the software review this week, and we're going to be looking at something called AppFresh. Question for you, how do you keep track of the latest versions of all your installed applications? Apple's built-in software update keeps things like uh, iTunes and uh, the operating system updated, but what about the rest? Because uh, for me, there seem to be uh, updates for Mac applications, particularly the smaller ones, uh, coming out more regularly than Windows. Every day, someone somewhere seems to be releasing an update. And I personally don't update every day, especially if the update is just a, a minor point version, uh, although the update could be a, an important bug fix rather than just a, a minor tweak. And I've got a problem of keeping my iMac and my MacBook up to date. At the last count, I think I had over 150 applications, and visiting the individual websites wasn't an option. Now, I know that many uh, applications will check for updates automatically when they run, um, although some of them don't. Um, so what we're going to look at here is one or two ways of dealing with the problem. Now, I know, Elaine, you use a couple of websites, don't you, for, uh, for checking? I do. Um, I have created a bookmark in Safari uh, called Daily, and it's uh, the, the sites I go to daily. And I have two in there um, that are just for having a look what latest apps are out, uh, Mac Update and Version Tracker. Um, but when you say um, many apps will check for updates when they run, um, some do, some don't, and that's configurable as well. I found the worst ones of the lot are the ones that just seem to check when they want to. And it can be a real pain to have that turned on, especially if you're doing a presentation. You'll be in the middle of a PowerPoint presentation or something, well, keynote in my case, and this thing, something will pop up and say, do you want to update whatever? That's exactly what happened to uh, me a, a couple of months ago when we were doing a presentation. Um, I think it was a default folder. It decided to automatically update itself right in the middle of me uh, delivering this. Well, I was actually recording the uh, the presentation. And uh, not long before we actually started recording uh, this episode of MacBytes, menu calendar clock decided to, to pop up and say uh, there's a new version. Um, now, because we weren't actually recording, I have updated it although that was on my iMac so I am waiting for that to happen during this recording on my laptop. <laughs> Things could get very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they could, they could. Yeah Mac updates and version checker are actually free to use if you want to do it manually so in other words go and visit the site um, there is a search facility, although you can just scan down the, a long, long list of different applications uh, and see what the latest versions are, compare those manually to the versions that you have installed. Now, uh, there, there are also some paid-for services at those sites. Um, with Version Tracker, um, you can sign up and you can pay $50 for up to three Macs. Oh, typical, we've got four. Yeah, that is a, a bit of an issue, isn't it, on there? At least they don't expect you to pay for each one. Mm, true, very true. With Mac Update, you can get an account uh, which is $40 a year, although there is a, a free one-and-a-half-week demo, um, and you sign up for an account with uh, Mac Update. And uh, what that does is it uh, allows you to uh, use their piece of software called Mac Update Desktop, um, and that will help keep all your software up to date. Now, we prefer free software, don't we? Oh, we do. So, following a Google search of uh, how to update your Mac for free, 
although I can't remember if we added the for free bit on there. We actually came up with uh, two. We came up with one called, and I'm going to try and pronounce this, Logiseal Mac Update. That is in my... I'm glad you did that, not me, because my French is appalling. <laughs> my best French accent. And that is at uh, logisealmac.com. And I think I will definitely put that in the show notes so that you can just click on it. It is a French website. It's all written in French. And uh, I haven't actually done any French for 20 years. So I decided that um, I would look for something that I could understand. Even the, the donate button on that takes you to uh, PayPal France. That's actually going to dissuade people, that. <laughs> uh, who may be perfectly willing but totally unable. Anyway, the one I did find was called AppFresh, and that is from a, a German company, although the website was in English, and that is metaquark.de slash AppFresh. Again, I will put that in the show notes. It's currently in beta and it's free, although they said that they may change that with a full release. Um, and it works with applications, widgets, preference panes, and plugins. Uh, and it works also with Tiger and Leopard. It's also designed to integrate with uh, a system called I Use This. Have you come across that? I have. I don't have an account. Um, I don't use it. <laughs> Sorry, ah, very, very <laughs> Sorry I couldn't, couldn't resist hmm. that one. Um, but yes, I have seen it. Yeah, for those of you that haven't seen it, um, I've heard it described as as a union between Dig and Mac Update. And uh, when you go to the site, the front page displays a list of the most recent updates for OS X software. And registered users can click on the applications they use. Um, and what it allows you to do is, is kind of vote for them. So the more people that use an application, the higher up on the page it goes. And it lets visitors see easily the most popular software releases at a glance and uh, I use this also has this handy feature of storing a list of applications that you use within your account profile that provides a quick reference if you ever need to repopulate your applications folder which sounds really useful it does but what app fresh it does what app fresh does is it scans your mac for updates when app fresh is launched although you can disable that in the preference so you can manually um, launch the the scan and you can in the preference choose whether to scan the preference panes the widgets and the plugins because you might not want to scan those you might just be interested in the uh, applications the application itself, um, the interface, has three panes. On the left-hand side, you've got categories. In the middle, you've got a list of applications related to a selected category. So the categories are things like your preference panes, your widgets, and your plugins. Uh, and you also have uh, by a manufacturer. Um, so you've got Apple in there, you've got Microsoft in there, you've got Adobe in there, and you've got third party in there. And guess what? If you look on my version, the Microsoft one is totally empty. Oh, good, good. I think mine <laughs> would be as well. <laughs> And on the right-hand side, when you select an application from the middle section, it gives you uh, display notes that relate to the selected applications, uh, which actually come from I use this. So you've got a description, you've got release notes, you've got the date of the latest release, you've got the version number, and the number of registered I use this users who are using the app. So what you would do is, for each application, um, 
you can see uh, the path to the installed application, which is usually in your uh, applications folder. You can see when it was last used. So if you've got an application you haven't used for, for six months, it would show you that. You can see the currently used, the currently installed version um, and whether a new version is available and uh, what its version number is. And that includes point releases as well. So it might say that the version you've got installed is version 3.1234 and the new version is 3.1235. So it actually shows you all that information. And all you do is you select the applications to be updated or you can press Command and A to select all and then you click the update button and the, the zip file or the DMG file uh, or whatever the file is, is downloaded. You can choose the location. You can also, if you want to, through the preferences, actually have it unpacking the uh, files. So then all you have to do is drag the file into your applications folder. And you also have an option to auto install, although they do recommend that you don't have that option ticked because it could cause problems um, if you automatically installed a version. I certainly wouldn't recommend having that uh, ticked. I would also always want control over that. So that is uh, at Fresh. As I say, I will put all the notes uh, on the show notes. Yeah, I had a look at that. And now the one thing I found it really useful for was even if all it did was just download the application updates and unzip them or undmg them and what it left you with was like a series of folders with the unpacked software and all you had to do was select them all and drag them and drop them to the applications and confirm to overwrite and um, it was it did save a lot of time so i'd recommend that one too Okay, so that is uh, how to keep your applications up to date. Uh, but what about keeping your data files up to date? Yeah, this is something which affects or will affect uh, lots of people. Um, I've certainly encountered it personally um, in my role as a trainer and um, consultant. I've experienced it many, many times. Um, home users, probably less so, but then again, probably because maybe less aware of it. Um, most of the time you create your file and you either print it, email it, do what you will with it and then forget about it. But on the odd occasion, you do need to go back and use that file again. And, and the question is, would you be able to? Um, it first affected me on the PC uh, when the app that I'd used for scanning stuff changed its file format. Now, I'd spent many not quite so happy hours uh, having to convert all my files from their proprietary format, which was a great format. It allowed you to comment on scans and all sorts of things. But of course, you don't think in terms of, hmm, you know, the application's there today, what about tomorrow? Um, so I converted them all to the new version, and then the next version of the application changed the file format again. Well, by this time, I was wise to it, so I decided at that point to use PDF for my scanning. Um, so that dealt with sort of scans, but exactly the same problem exists with any document files, so particularly PowerPoint presentations um, and spreadsheets. And it's not linked to just because it's a PowerPoint presentation. It could be Keynote. It could be any type of file. And the problems are, you get a new version of the application and worst case scenario, it may not actually open the old files at all. Now, that does seem to happen less and less these days, but it certainly happened to me on Windows that... Um, this scanning application, for instance, it just would not deal with the old files. What they did give you was a tiny conversion utility. Um, and you literally just pointed it at a group of, of files and told it to update it to the new file format. 
and that you know that that's fine at least they've given you a way out but you know I still have that installed and this must be easy five years ago and I do every now and then I'm looking for sort of a tax return from the year dot and it'll be in this old format and I'll have to run it through and I have no idea whether this old application would even run on Vista so um, I really should have sorted it out before but then again they shouldn't be using proprietary file formats like that second thing that might happen is new version of an application it may open the file but it just may display them differently so it may have different options and things just don't come through quite as they were um, spreadsheets for instance automatically recalculate anytime they're opened so you could actually change the figures that you had in the previous version now I know that sounds ridiculous but trust me it happens um, I'll put some details in the show notes of uh, what's been going on lately with Excel um, and numbers suffers from the same problem so I could have had a file that calculated to a certain number of pence five years ago and I open it in the new version and it calculates differently so uh, that's something else to be aware of it's very common to have missing fonts especially in files created originally on Windows and now I'm using them on the Mac it's also less common, but it does happen, to have missing images. Uh, and I've had pagination problems. In fact, I had that on Windows with the same version of the software, but I had different printers installed. And just because I had different printers installed, the layout of the document changed. So those are some of the problems. And you might say, well, yeah, but why is that important? Well, you may need to open those old files. You may need to print the old files. You know, so really just in terms of seeing them. But you may also need to repurpose some old content. In my situation, I have to re-deliver presentations. I may have done a presentation two years ago and then somebody at one of the groups that I speak at will say, oh, that was a good one about X. Can you do that one again? You know, update it and re-deliver it. And I have to go back to these old files and I, I found these problems of missing fonts and things. The solutions... Um, you have to be quite strict with yourself, but when you've completed a file, create a PDF of it and ensure that you embed the fonts because then at least you'll be able to see your file and you'll be able to see it exactly as it looked the day you created it. Um, with PowerPoint or Keynote, if you make a PDF of the file, you'll be able to deliver that presentation again. So you wouldn't be delivering it from the original file, it would be the PDF. So in, in those terms, you could make very few changes to it, but at least you would be able to re-deliver it. Also, consider using what's called PDFA, which is an archive quality PDF. Uh, and the reason you'd use that is it's guaranteed that you'll be able to open those files forever. Um, now, how long forever is... I don't know, but let's say at least 10 to 20 years. The idea is that uh, museums and uh, people like Companies House are using PDFs and they can't come to a point where a new version of the PDF reader is released and it won't read the old files. So PDFA has very strict rules of things you can and can't have. There are limitations on the content, so don't be trying to put video in there. But if you can create a PDFA, you're virtually guaranteed to be able to use it in the future. And last tip, create a folder and put all the reference files in it. So if you've used images in your document, put copies in. Uh, take a copy of the actual font file and put that in the folder. Even down to colour swatches. 
and make sure that you put your original source file in that folder as well as your PDF because having that original source file you'll be able to make changes to it and repurpose the content and as I say that's the thing that's happened to me many many times that people want to see a presentation again uh, but it needs to be updated. And the other thing is keeping that original source file, it's all very well having a PDF of something if all you want to do is look at it, re-deliver it or maybe print it. But how many times, Mike, have you heard the infamous phrase, can you convert this PDF into fill in the blank? About five times a week at work. Yes. Uh, PDF is a wonderful invention. You, you can guarantee when you send a PDF that the person at the other end has a pretty good chance of being able to see it. But as Mike says, it's so common for people to have a PDF and not always a PDF they've received from somebody else. Uh, sometimes this is a PDF that you know they've created six months ago. And when you say to them, well, did you not keep the original file? They look at you as though it's you that's mad and says, well, no, because I'd made a PDF. Yeah, well, that's all very well. But without the original file, you're going to have more work to do. So um, I thought we'd throw this in today when we were talking about keeping your applications up to date, because it's not just your applications that are important. It's your data as well. Your data is more important than your applications. And um, over the many, many years I've had computers um, changing from software version to software versions being problematic enough when I changed from Windows to a Mac I had to think about how I was going to deal with all those files as well some things like um, Visio files for instance uh, you can open them on a Mac if you use something called Omnigraffle but they have to have been saved in a specific format and some of the files I've got are very very old but at least if I create a folder and I put the pictures in there, all the images, all the fonts I've used, the original file and a PDF, at least I'll be able to see them. If I have to recreate that in another software application, so be it. At least I can see it. If all I kept was the original native Visio format, then I'd be scrambling around looking for a copy of Visio to open the file on. So just a few tips there that... Um, I've picked up from my travels as a consultant uh, with documents. So I trust you'll be looking after your documents more now, Mike. I will, of course. Mm, I trust you thousands wouldn't. <laughs> I'll take your applications off you. OK, on to uh, feedback and comments for this week. Uh, first of all, Jack at MacFever. Thanks to listener Jack for his kind comments about the show. Jack's actually from uh, Worthing near sunny Brighton. And in fact, uh, we were in Brighton a few years ago for a beach soccer tournament. And uh, if you really want to, you can see some photos of me interviewing Eric Cantona. Uh, details will be in the show notes. Jack has his own podcast, Mac Fever, and you can find out more by visiting macfever.co.uk. Yeah, I had a look at those tonight, Jack, and uh, nice to see you. Uh, we're only audio at the moment, but uh, very nice to see you in your podcast. And our old friend, uh, Gazmaz. Jack He's isn't still the only... there, isn't he? He's still there. He is. <laughs> he is. Gazmaz. Jack isn't the only listener who's podcasting. Uh, Gazmaz now has his own section on the uh, the Mac Eyes Only, for, for Mac Eyes Only podcast, uh, which can be found at uh, formaceyesonly.blogspot.com. Uh, his news and views from across the pond section is dedicated to the European view of Mac-related news. So uh, thanks for your feedback and comments this week, guys. Yep, and uh, coming on to events, last shout out, you'll all be glad to know, for the uh, Northwest Adobe Group event, which is Mission Control, all about Lightroom and Bridge. It's on Monday the 30th of June. We so far have, oh, in excess of 10 people registered, I think. So uh, if you're interested in that, then uh, 
go to the site at nwork.co.uk and uh, drop us a line and uh, feel free to come along. Don't forget, win a t-shirt. What more enticement could you possibly need? And uh, also Geek Up, our friends at Geek Up, they've got events coming up in Liverpool, Sheffield and Manchester all in the next couple of weeks. So full details at geekup.org or you can follow their Twitter, which is Geek Up, not surprisingly. Anyway, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. We would love to hear from you. Send your questions, comments, queries by email or send us an audio file. We keep saying it. And now we know that Gasmas can do audio. Mm-hmm. Over to you, Gasmas. Anyway, you can keep up to date with what we're up to via Twitter. We are MacBytes at Twitter. We are also MacBytes at Plurk, but we've only just started with that. You could subscribe to the RSS feed at macbytes.co.uk. And our next episode, we're going to be taking a look at all things audio. So uh, lots of applications and uh, tips and tricks we'll be looking at next week. So until next time, this has been Elaine Giles and Mike Thomas bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye and see you next time. Goodbye, see you next time.